0: All right, everybody. we got three quick email tips from the boss. Number one.
1: Number one, don't tell me not to print out this email. If I want to print it out, I'm going to print it out. And when's the last time you printed out an email anyway? Does anybody still do that? Number two. (laughs) Don't thank me in advance for something that I haven't done for you yet. Thank me when I'm finished because I didn't actually agree to do it yet. And number three. Don't invite me for the final, final time. Don't invite me to your LinkedIn network. I'll see you at lunch tomorrow.
0: (laughs) Let's start the episode. Hey, Podcastle Center, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial pursuit, know that today, right now, in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs all around the globe seeking to do the same thing you are. If you want to know more about this program, For this podcast, or want to get barraged by a lot of annoying pop-ups, check out our website, lifestylebusinesspodcast.com. Yeah, buddy, everybody, it's Thursday morning. That means it's time for another Lifestyle Business Podcast. Today, I'm joined by my comrade, my co-hostess with the mostest, And, and hey, everybody, it's no coincidence that Who's the Boss was canceled the year he was born. Welcome to the program, Ian. How has Vietnam been treating you?
1: Vietnam has been awesome, man. I've been here for two weeks and I've been loving it. Vietnam, it it has so much to offer. I started up in the north and I'm working my way down to the south where I will see you in Saigon tomorrow.
0: Very cool. We got a phone call from Jesse. You want to listen to it?
1: Absolutely. Hey, Dan, this is Jesse. I just wanted to thank you for the Lifestyle Business Podcast and let you know that you and Ian really are rocking it. You guys have your own style. You guys got original content, original styles. You guys really got it together. And I appreciate it.
0: Hey, Jesse, man. I appreciate it. Uh, if you guys want to leave us a message that really warms our heart to hear that kind of stuff, you can go to lifestylebusinesspodcast.com. Click the record button on this post, and you can leave us a message too. By the way, Ian, some people have been emailing me saying that they've been they've missed the information about our Tropical MBA stuff or they you know they missed the information about the event. If you never want to miss anything, you got to get on our mailing list. That's the only way... Uh, you know you can be sure to make sure to hear about this stuff so you can find that at lifestylebusinesspodcast.com and we promise to send you some cool stuff including our first 50 episodes if you sign up. Ian's on the list, he loves it. It's not that
1: annoying, right? No, actually I'm not on the list but I imagine oh. it's not that annoying.
0: What a, what is it going to take to get, get you on the list, man? What do I, how many times do I got to bring it up to get you on the list?
1: All right, all right. I'll sign up. <laughs>
0: I'll send you good stuff, man. I'm going to send you the first 50 episodes.
1: All right. All right. I, initially, I put my spam email address in there, but maybe I'll put my real one in
0: <laughs> Joseph sent us an email, including his photo for our Who Wears section. Love to see that, Joseph. Thanks for all the support you've given us over the last few years here at the LBP. I actually met Joseph in uh, New York City. we Are you going to be in New York City in September as well, Ian?
1: Oh, you're trying to convince me, so uh, it might work. I do love New York City.
0: A little bit of public social pressure. Nick wrote us an email and said, hey guys, another thing I'd like to hear about is how you guys analyze markets. For example, how do you decide to sell cat products, man? Was it the market size, the product idea, or was it something about that customer base? Thanks guys, and I'll see you Thursday. Well, Nick, let's turn that into a little bit of meat and potatoes. This one's called The Importance of Niche Flexibility and the Teacher Track. All right, and I want to talk about uh, niche selection because it's something that we do all the time. A lot of people think, you know, all right, we're going to decide on a niche and, you know, it's going to be our horse and we're going to make it or break it off of this thing. But in reality, man, we've probably done what, 10 to 20 niches in the last five years?
1: It's ridiculous. And we've probably uh, talked about 50 of them. So uh, we're in no way married to any of the niches uh, that, that we conceive over a couple of years.
0: Right, and, and, and so there's there's that issue, which is like, you know, there's more of like an attitude or a, an approach to niche selection that matters more than, you know, oh, I got this genius idea and I'm going to do this. Yeah. You know? and, and the second thing is is that I think a lot of people misunderstand what makes a successful selection because, you know, part of it, Ian, is just luck. And, you know, we were, talk, we were talking a little bit, you know, a lot of people think, you know, and maybe you guys are successful because you just got lucky, you know, with that particular product line. And and the truth is, is that we did. And so we're going to try to pull out some of those things that we're seeing, and hopefully they can help guide you in your attitude and approach to niche selection. How many points do we got here? We got one, two, three, four, five, six points. All right. So let's get started with number one. Get off of the mediocre niches, man. Get off of the mediocre niches. This is one that's tough. Right. Because what we found is that, Ian, you know, in our product business, for example, we've got like five or six active niches right now, some mediocre, some baller, some dead. Right. Yep. And the interesting thing when you look at this is as entrepreneurs, we often believe in ourselves so much. Right. Like I can just do it, man. Like give me a task and I'm going to crush it. Right. But the thing about this is interesting is that in all of the six or seven niches that we're in, we're the same company. We're the same people. But some are paying the bills and some are just a thorn in our side.
1: Yeah, that's right. So we basically have the same process for all the different niches that we're uh, involved in. We design and we manufacture and we market. And like you said, in some niches we're successful and others we're not. And so what's the reason behind that?
0: Well, we're not that good at identifying, and we just actually had to turn off the podcast to have like a thirty-minute argument about yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough to know. I mean, part of it is is that we found that for our you know for our niches, especially as a small player, um, we're not that good at like huge marketing stuff. Maybe B two B is one of the secrets. Like we we do a little bit better when we're selling to other businesses because it's cheaper to find customers. Um, we found that less developed marketplaces, so marketplaces that are sort of on the fringe. Um, we're doing a little bit better in because they're not so established. Um, and we can get more profitability going on, we can provide more unique value, we're not we don't have so much competition. Another thing is like, and sometimes it's very difficult to know this because the information isn't always clear, uh, growth markets. Obviously, a lot of the niches that we got we kind of stumbled into, they happen to be blowing up. And we just didn't know that. It's just a matter of getting in the game and be willing to, you know. Be, uh, go around and do a bunch of different niches and not to be married to one niche. And 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 I guess maybe a lesson for the audience is, is don't always blame yourself. Be careful about blaming yourself. You might just be in a mediocre niche and you might need to take your process, take the way that you create value and go, you know, go put that into another niche and see how it plays there.
1: Yeah. One of the things that we've learned uh, recently is uh, we started this company, this uh, portable bar company, and we took a lot of cues from another niche that we're in uh, because the customers look very much the same. uh, The way that you sell the customers looks the same. The way that you manufacture the products looks the same. The expos, everything looks very much the same. And uh, we were successful in the first niche, so we kind of transferred that into a second niche, and we're starting to get some traction uh, with the portable bars. And so I wouldn't call the portable bars as much luck as I would uh, calling on experience. So we picked a niche that we knew we could be successful in because we were su- successful in it before.
0: There we go. All right, the number two point we got here, Ian, is internal internal value versus external value. Um, one of the things I'm seeing amongst um, people just getting started out versus people that are successful and been in the game for a while is that the people that are really successful at this kind of thing, they're really good at focusing on external value. What's valuable to the marketplace? Whereas people getting started, they're always thinking about what am I passionate about? What do I really care about? What do I really want to do in terms of a topic, right? Yep. And, and what I want to say about that is like sort of getting to be involved in like the topic that you really love, it's a luxury item. It's kind of like buying a Lexus while you're working at a restaurant, you know? It's like, you can do it. You know, you, you, can, you can rock that, but
1: you're gonna, you are gonna make life a little bit harder on yourself, you know? Right, and you're probably going to have four different mismatched tires on it too eventually. <laughs> Be my guess. <laughs> I want to
0: point, you know, the, I think the AdSense flippers, Ian, are, are guys that are really good at this. Because those guys are like, uh, one of the reasons that we get along so well with them is I see those guys as like true blooded entrepreneurs. You know, they could do anything well and that's because they're always thinking about their customers. They're thinking about what's good for their marketplace, how they can move their market forward. They're not always sitting around and thinking, what do I want to talk about? What do I want to do? You know, so there's a, you know, you got to do both. There's a marriage there, you know, that you got to make. But fundamentally, like the best way to get traction in a new niche is to care more about the niche than you care about yourself. That's right. All right. Number 3. Find a niche that's so so this is a response to that point is you want to look for work that's a calling, not a niche. That's a calling,
1: and I think. What do you mean by that? All
0: right. So a great example is, is blogging, right? And uh, when I when I talk to people, like, so blogging is basically being an online publisher. Whether you want to be a, a podcaster, you want to write stuff, or whether you want to you know make videos or going around to do journalism, you know, do connect people, do interviews, whatever that is, right? Um, I don't really understand people who are like, you know. Uh, Ian, to be honest, when I wrote the Outsource of the Philippines blog, I enjoyed that, you know, every bit as much as I could enjoy any other blog, right? As long as it's in, you know, general kind of space that I'm interested in. Right. And, and what a lot of people say is they basically say, well, you know, if I can't blog about this, then I don't care. You know, if I can't blog about wake up in the morning and write about whatever comes off the top of my head, then I don't care. And, and, and what I would say then is like, you know, what, you have not found work that's a calling. Because for me, like I want to be creative and create content, whether that's outsourcing, whether that's offshoring, whether that's taxes. I would write a taxes blog tomorrow. I would start calling up cool tax people, get guys like David McKeegan on the program, do interviews, travel around, do journalism, whatever that is. Because I feel like publishing is work that's a calling for me. And that's a better strategy than finding topics that are a calling. Your thoughts? Yeah.
1: And I think this is the same in the manufacturing side of our business, and I get asked this a lot. Uh, Somebody at the last Tropical MBA asked me this, actually. Um, They said, uh, so, like, you're really passionate about portable bars? And I said, well, yeah, you know, I am passionate about portable bars, but what I'm more passionate about is the process of design and manufacturing and entrepreneurship and running a business and all those other things. But it's that calling for the work that I'm passionate about, you know. Portable bars are cool and I can get into it and I can sell them and I can make the best ones in the world, but I'm really passionate about that process.
0: Oh, and you do. And you do. And that's because of our fourth point, which is understanding the distinction between interests and skills. Man, you're famous for your skills. You're famous on the blogosphere for your skills. Tell us about the difference between interests and skills.
1: So uh, one thing I know for sure, because I've looked through your internet history, is you love to watch YouTube videos about uh, planes and flight. True. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of weird. But uh, So anyways, there's a difference between interests and skills, right? So you're really interested in flying planes or at least watching plane crashes, things like this. Yeah. But you don't necessarily possess the skills it takes to fly a 737 yet. I know that's on your list.
0: Sure as hell I could crash one, though, buddy. That's right. But the key thing here is, you know, if, if, if I want to start a blog or a content business around airplanes, the, key th- the skill there would not be my interest in airplanes. The skill there would be, you know, what it takes to be a successful online publisher or a publisher in general. And you know that's not going to happen through watching more YouTube videos about airplanes. That's going to happen through apprenticing or working directly with other successful publishers and understanding what that skill set requires. So I mean, the real difference between interest and skills is people don't pay for interest, man. They pay for skills. And when we're fundamentally, we're talking about entrepreneurship here. And I think sometimes people, you know, they, they don't, they just undervalue skills. They forget to ask themselves, am I bringing anything unique or valuable to the table here in terms of a skill set?
1: Right, so there's two kinds of people that would be successful, like you said, uh, at that kind of site. It would either be your buddy Captain Lim, who's a professional pilot and writes about uh, flying, or it would be a professional publisher, not necessarily an expert in yeah. flight, though.
0: Well, and, and the key thing about Lim there that you got to understand is that he doesn't need to have the online publishing skills because he's going to make his money flying the planes, man. And so he can afford to put up that kind of site. And he's going to get the sort of extra benefits of that. But one of the things we were talking about is Captain Lim's not going to start busting out $100,000 years off of that website. But he doesn't need to because he's flying the plane, man. I'd fly the plane for free. <laughs> See, I'd do the, I'd do <laughs> I the opposite. I you would. I'd put up the website and fly the plane for free. All right, number point number five, let's talk about the teacher trap. This is related. And the teacher trap is something every, all kinds of people online are getting stuck in. You know, and I'm... Feeling sorry for people getting stuck in the teacher trap. Because here's what happens. It seems apparent on the surface when you get involved in the internet at the beginning that it doesn't require a lot of skills. We are just talking about skills. Skills to teach people to do stuff online. So everybody just starts teaching right out of the gate. That's what they do. It's like, hey, man, I hardly got to do anything. I just got to learn WordPress and start teaching people. And what they think they're doing is that they're saving time By skipping learning a hard skill. Like, well, you know, I could help people in the same way by developing a piece of software. But software is hard. So I'm going to just start teaching vis-a-vis blog posts or whatever.
1: Right.
0: But what's ended up happening is that either way, they're they're wasting just as much time. Because it's going to be a year until they realize that they're not going to be able to make money off of the whole teacher thing. Because... They don't have any hard skills that people are, at the end of the day, willing to pay for. They might even have an audience, right? But they're not going to be able to monetize it. So it's like it turns out that it, had they just spent that year developing software, at the end of it, they'd have a real hard skill that they can charge for. But instead, they, they spent the whole year because they thought they wouldn't be wasting their time, right? I'll get immediate traction or whatever. And it turns out that, no, they're in the teacher trap.
1: That's right. And we're In took- the teacher trap. We've
0: talked about this quite a bit. Finally, and this is something, um, th- this is, this is, this is the, maybe the reason that that happens. And this is our sixth point, is I want to encourage you to look behind to find the real reasons that people are successful online, not the ones that they tell you about. The reason that you and I are successful online isn't because we put up a WordPress site or whatever, started teaching people. That's not necessarily the case or like that's correlated with our success, but that's not the cause of our success. And and I think that that's important when you're listening to online coaches and stuff because that'll send you right to the teacher trap, right? We want to be careful about that. One of the things that when you look at a lot of online coaches, trainers, gurus, internet marketers, whatever, is that they have a track record. And this is so important. Even if they're not flaunting it every day and putting it in front of your face or whatever, this can be a critical sort of silent motivator to their success because it's the very thing that allows them to network with other people, for example, behind the scenes.
1: Yeah, a lot of these guys that have track records too, uh, you wouldn't know that they have a track record. So they just kind of show up on the scene uh, and they know all this information and stuff like that. And you just figure, wow, these guys are really smart. They just must have came up to speed super quick. No, wrong answer. They've been on the block for 10 years yeah. in a different niche transition. Now they're in your niche and they're going to crush you.
0: Another thing about it is you want to look at the unique timing that people have in niches. Timing is such a critical thing thing and niches a lot of the case studies that you see out there I'm sure you can notice they just wouldn't work if you try to duplicate them and I think what this you know comes back to is you know having the skills and and not getting attached to those niches right because you know most of the most of the niches that you select are not going to work out that's just how that's how this stuff goes down because this whole issue of unique timing well how do you figure out Dan whether you know I'm going to launch my ebook into this niche and it's going to be successful well you don't know you can, do, you can do keyword research until your freaking nose bleeds. you're just not going to know until you start putting yourself into a bunch of niches. And when you start doing that and having that attitude, that is the attitude that's going to allow you to start to see these unique timings. Like Ian was saying, now all of a sudden we have this super proprietary niche selection um, process that's unique to our capabilities, who we are as people, and we can't come and share that on the I mean, if we try to lay that out on the podcast, first off, we wouldn't even be able to articulate it, right? We right. know it when we see it now. And that's a unique experience. We take advantage of unique timing. And and that's just about getting in the game and not being attached to these topics or particular products. The next thing is watch people. Don't always listen. Sometimes when you listen, it's too late. And I know we're negating ourselves here a little bit, but we want to try to inspire you to get... In the game, if you listen to what I'm saying about how I selected a cat furniture niche, maybe that the, the real value of that advice is going to be to inspire you that, hey, this guy's an idiot. Uh, I can do better than him. I'm going to just do something. I'm going to go out there and get in the game with the right attitude. I'm not going to be thinking about myself, me, 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 me. I'm going to be thinking about the marketplace, what I can do, how I can articulate an amazing product that's going to have a unique value and how I'm going to crush it. That's right. That's it, I, love
1: it. I love it when you talk about um, you know, doing something for the marketplace instead of doing something for yourself. You know, I think that's a, that's a really good way to start and to uh, run your business. You know, and that's the you hustle, know, man. Uh, if you go do that like for I long know, enough,
0: you can, you, can, you can come back and you can buy two or three Lexuses. That's, what, that's right. I, I mean, it's the difference between driving a Lexus with four different tires on it and a payment versus having three of them and dropping off one to mom's. That's what I'm talking about. And that's serving the marketplace. That's right. Let's get moving on to just the tips. All right, yeah. I got a quick tip. Uh, I, was, uh, I noticed on Twitter last week that Derek Johansson uh, who's one of my uh, favorite online personalities, member of the DC as well, I'm proud to say. Um, he tweeted to you that your billable hours were worth like $1,000 or something like that.
1: Yeah, basically uh, this guy, he owes us like two grand and he ran away with our products. And so... Uh I'm going to, I was like hunting them down. I spent like an hour, well, mainly because this is a hobby of mine, but, uh, I spent an hour hunting them down online, finding out where his kids go to school and whatnot.
0: A Vigilante. You got some great tips for that. Actually, let's do an episode. Let's, let's, let's publicly commit to doing an episode about your espionage tactics because we've done that in the past, like back in the fifties episodes or whatever. Right. And, uh, you're like, so you're, you're like, you are doing some CIA stuff nowadays. I mean, it's, it's legit. So we'll do, we'll do a little bit of that. Anyway, uh, we want to encourage you in just a tip section to know your number. And the way that you can know your number, and this isn't anything sexual, although it could be, is take the number 2080, all right? So take your, take your, your annual income and divide it by 2080. And that's what, if you were to sort of turn your annual income into billable hours, that's what you're worth at an hourly rate and I think this is sort of a useful fun figure because I was like looking at that number I was like Ian's not worth $1,800 an hour and I, so I did the math and it was interesting because then I got your number and now I'm thinking all right well this is sort of fascinating um sort of to think about when you start to take on a task like should I really be doing this right now you know I I, last year I was capable of generating this amount of income per hour. Maybe I should start acting like it. Maybe I should start hiring people a little bit more aggressively. So I think that's an interesting number. So that's 2080. Now, what if
1: you subscribe to the four hour work week like me?
0: And what does that mean? It means
1: that I only work four hours a week, right? I mean, that's the book title, right?
0: (laughs) Well, then maybe you are worth $1,800 an hour, buddy. All right, guys. Well, thanks for joining us on the LBP. It's always a pleasure. And speaking of uh, settling on things like working only four hours a week, like a wimp, uh, (laughs) this is one of Ian's favorite songs. You're so in, you brother. This is a little bit of Death Cab cutie. This is the sound of settling, and this is the sound of us saying, it is very late at night. Let's get some sleep, and I'll see you guys next Thursday morning. Booyah. Hey everybody, thanks for listening. Don't be shy, we've got a mailing list, lifestyle podcast.com Go there, get yourself signed up, and we'll keep you up to date on everything we do.
1: Are you this fleeting? Old age is just around the bend. Yes, so the reason I said it would take me eight weeks to earn $1,000 to $2,000 a month is because I got skills, baby.